Please remain standing in honor of God's Word. We're continuing on through the book of Proverbs. And this morning we'll look at Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Proverbs 4, 1 through 9. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative Word. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. And do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, our perpetual prayer is found in James 1.5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Father, we ask you for wisdom. We ask that you would give it to us for the situations that we face. We ask that you would give it to us for the sake of our children. Give it to us for the sake of our grandchildren. Give it to us for the sake of our great-grandchildren. Give it to us for the sake of children yet unborn that we will never meet in this world. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, most of you know by now that uh, Michelle and I are new grandparents. Last September, our first granddaughter, Josephine James, came into the world. Uh, after she was born, my sister sent me a text. She said, congratulations. You are now officially old but in a good sort of way. <laughs> uh, last November, I had the privilege of baptizing uh, my first granddaughter. And before I did that, I talked just briefly about covenant baptism. And I'm not going to repeat that message here, but I will remind you of just a couple of points I mentioned. Uh, the first point was the promise of the covenants. And that's found in Genesis 17:7 where God says to Abraham, and this is when he gives the covenant sign of circumcision, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I had mentioned, if you are a Christian parent, there is no greater promise than God saying to you, not only will I be God to you, but I will be God to your children. But God is even looking beyond that. He's also saying, I'll be God to your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and right on down the line, perhaps even to a thousand generations. 
In Deuteronomy 7, 9, we read, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments for a thousand generations. Let me help you with the math. If a generation is, let's just say, 20 years, thousand generation is 20,000 years. Wouldn't it be something if you had descendants walking with Jesus Christ in 20,000 years, which maybe is just a way of saying until Jesus returns. I also mentioned the members of the covenant. I was going to overlook this, but I had to emphasize it this morning. It always includes the children. God always includes the children in the covenant. And you may recall that on one occasion, parents were bringing their children to Jesus, including the infants. And the disciples were like, don't bother the teacher. I'm paraphrasing. Don't bother him. He has more important things to do. And what did Jesus say? Let the children come to me. And we're told that he took some in his arms and specifically we're told that he laid his hands on them and blessed them. And I told my daughter and her husband, that's the picture I want you to have of what's taking place this morning. Jesus is laying his hands on your child, my grandchild, and is bestowing a blessing. But then there's the responsibility of the covenants. In Genesis 18, 19, God says, speaking of Abraham, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. If the promise of Abraham is to be fulfilled, the parents must be faithful in instructing their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now, maybe it's because I'm a new grandfather, but I find it fascinating that in this passage we have a reference to a grandfather. And we see the impact that he is having on his grandchildren, even if it's indirect because it's coming through his son. As we look at this text this morning, I want you not only to see what it teaches, but also what it illustrates, namely how to have an influence on future generations. And to have an impact on future generations, at least three things are needed. You need vision, you need instruction, you need promises. And I'm labeling the three points this way. The grandfather's vision the grandfather's instruction, the grandfather's promise. So let's, let's begin with the grandfather's vision. Verse 1 again. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father tender, the only one in the sight of my mother he taught me and said, and we'll stop there. We'll get to the teaching in the next two points. But as I said earlier, this is a father's instruction. This is Solomon. But actually what he is doing is passing along the counsel that he got from his father, King David, so that now the grandson can be on the receiving end. 
Now, the future of these children is based not only upon the father, but the grandfather in this passage. And it's also interesting, and there, there's some debate here, but it begins, Hear, O sons, in the plural, of a father's instruction. And this is the first time we've, we've seen the plural sons. Earlier, if you recall, my son, and then there's given instructions. Now the question is, what does, what does he mean when he says, my sons? Who specifically does he have in mind? And Bruce Wolke has some good insights, and uh, some of you aren't familiar with him, so maybe I'll mention him, because I'll be quoting him a few times, so you might be wondering, who is Bruce Wolke? Uh, he studied the book of Proverbs for 25 years. Uh, before I studied this series on Proverbs, I looked up online who has the best commentaries uh, on Proverbs, and he came up. Uh, look at the size of this commentary on Proverbs. That's, that's volume one. This, <laughs> this is volume two. Did, did I mention that he studied the book of Proverbs for 25 years? Not everybody's going to read that, so we have this one by Bruce Wolke. It's called a shorter commentary, and if even that is too much, you can go to the shortest commentary on Proverbs written by yours truly. <laughs> um, but he has, he has an interesting observation about uh, this word sons and, and what it may refer to. So I'll just read it for you. He says, the indefinite and plural address sons is unique in the introductory admonitions. The construction suggests that the plural sons is diachronotic. And I thought, wow, diachronotic. What, what does that mean? If you don't know what that means, don't feel bad. I didn't know what that means either. And apparently nobody else does, so he included in parentheses the definition. I'm so thankful. In other words, it's a reference to the lineage of the sons looking down the line of future generations, not synchronic, and again, I'm glad he gave me the definition, a reference to the contemporary sons of the father. So that's his suggestion. I'm not going to be dogmatic on this point, but when Solomon says, hear, O sons, he's not just talking about the sons who are right in front of him, but he's talking about future sons who may come somewhere down the line. Now, regardless of whether or not that is the accurate translation, it is biblical to think about future generations. This is what we read in Exodus 10. And this is during the 10, 10 plagues. This is the eighth plague, the plague of locusts, in case you're wondering, and... This is what we read, Exodus 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of among, excuse me, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell them in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Isn't that interesting? God is saying, I have hardened Pharaoh's hearts 
so that I can bring upon him in the Egyptians these plagues, so that in turn you will have a story to tell to your children and your grandchildren someday, so that you and they, of course, may know that I am the Lord. God is looking down to future generations. Psalm 78, 2 through 7, we read, and this is Asaph, the psalmist speaking, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. I love that. Asaph is looking down the line. This is what I heard from my father, and I'm passing it along to you. And future generations need to pass it along. Those not yet born. So as Christians, we're to have a vision for the future that extends beyond our lifetime. I remember a few years ago, I was reading a, a business book, and they were talking about how good businesses have you know, 10-year goals, 20-year goals, even... 50-year goals. And then I read that China has 500-year business goals. And I thought, that's fascinating. They're playing the long game. 500-year goals. How about us Christians? Do you have any 500-year goals? Sound me dead and gone. We're all going to be dead and gone in 500 years. But we can still have goals for what we would like to see taking place in 500 years. So let's, let's begin today. And let's just begin with what God has put in front of us, beginning with our children, and, and trust that he will work through our, through our faithfulness. So that's the first point, the grandfather's vision to impact future generations. Now we have the van... The grandfather's instruction. Verse 4, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, Get insight. If you want to summarize the message, I think it's pretty clear. Get wisdom. Get insight. Get wisdom. Get insight. It's pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward. Now, I hope you brought your uh, Hebrew glasses this morning. I want you to look at this word, get. We see it several times. Uh, in the Hebrew, it is kana. More specifically, it means buy. It means buy. It's the opposite of sell. And that is precisely how it is used in Proverbs 23, 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. 
by wisdom, instruction, and understanding. By wisdom. Now, obviously, this is a metaphor. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all go to the vitamin shop and buy a bottle of wisdom, you know, like we do uh, fish oil capsules, you know? You know how much you need. I need enough for the month, you know, 30-day supply. And every morning we could get up and we could ask our spouse, you know, did you take your wisdom pill? I, I took it. <laughs> oh, we're almost out of wisdom. We need, we need to get more. Uh, it would be wonderful if we can do that, but uh, obviously we can't. But what's the purpose of the metaphor? By wisdom. And I reminded you that the NIV, and it's pretty accurate in verse 7, says, The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. And that is a good translation of the Hebrew. No amount is too high for this pearl of great price. Now, in this passage, it's interesting. Solomon mixes his metaphors. Wisdom is not only pictured as a treasure to be purchased, but also a woman to be loved and embraced. Look at verse 6 again. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. Verse 8. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you... Embrace her, love her, embrace her. These, these are romantic words. In Proverbs 5.20, we read, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Don't, don't embrace her. Embrace Lady Wisdom and Song of Songs 2, verse 6. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand is embraces me. David is saying through Solomon, get wisdom, whatever it takes, and then you love her and you embrace her. Putting the two metaphors together, the instruction is this. Pay whatever dowry you have to in order to marry this woman and then love her and embrace her for the rest of your life. That's that's the instruction here. Do whatever it takes to get this woman. And you love her. You, you embrace her. Now, how do we do that? Pastor, we can't go to the vitamin shop, so how can we acquire wisdom? I was listening to a message this last week from John Piper, and he had some practical points. And I thought that was good, because it would be a shame for you to leave this morning and say, ah, it is very important to get wisdom. I just don't have any idea how I can get it. So... Here are six practical points. Where can you get wisdom and insight? Number one, from prayer. What was our opening prayer? James 1, 5. You've heard it so many times. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Ask for wisdom. Continue to cry out. You get it from Scripture. Psalm 19, 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So, yes, you can't take a wisdom pill every morning, but you know what you can do? You can open up God's word and read it, study it, memorize it, 
Meditate upon it, and it will give you wisdom. You can also get wisdom from the world. If we have eyes to see, it's, it's literally everywhere, thanks to God's common grace. But here's one example from Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. We're to learn to be wise from the ants. Isn't that interesting? Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food for harvest. The lesson about the ant is not just work hard, but it's also this ant works hard without any chief officer or ruler. There's, there's nobody watching over the shoulder of these ants. Mom or dad doesn't have to say, clean your room. Mom or dad doesn't have to say, did you finish your homework? This person is self-motivated. They don't need a ruler over them. Another pastor used the illustration of a coach. They don't need a coach telling them to work hard. Right? I mean, all the players on the basketball team work hard when the coach is out there blowing the whistle, run faster, faster. But when it's just, what if it's just you out there on, on the basketball court? How, how fast do you run? Or with a musical instrument or whatever, whatever else it, it may be. That's one of the lessons we can learn Believe it or not, from those little ants crawling, crawling around on, on the ground. And then another place we can find wisdom is from wise people. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Here's a question I have for you. Do you listen to people who tell you what you want to hear? Or do you consult with people who tell you what you need to hear? You know, it's easy to say, yeah, I, I, I talk to people who tell me what I, what I need to hear. But the truth is, sometimes that can be humbling because we might feel inferior if they have insight that, that, we, don't, that we don't have. And it can wound our, our pride. But we want to learn from wise people. Some of you are wondering, why, why is he quoting Wolkie all the time? Well, I told you, he studied... Proverbs for 25 years. Why, why wouldn't I learn from his thoughts? I love what Spurgeon said on one occasion. He said, he who will not learn from the thoughts of others men's brains shows that he has no brains of his own. Now that, that's pretty good. Learn from wise people. Number five, where do you get wisdom from an eternal perspective? Psalm 90 verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I was listening to a podcast, and I won't mention the person's name, but just in passing, they were, they were saying, every single day, I live with an awareness that I'm going to die. And they said, it really makes a difference in how I live. It's, it's helpful. And I thought, that's really interesting. And I would add, that's biblical. It does make a difference. And then one more, six, where do you get wisdom? Of course, we have to include this from walking with Jesus. We've said that our key verse for Proverbs, even though it comes from Colossians, is Colossians 2, 3. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if all 
the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ, and you are not going to have them apart from Christ, which means apart from a personal relationship with him, walking intimately day in and day out. So to get wisdom and insight is the teaching of this grandfather, and then he says, love her and embrace her. And to love wisdom and insight is to love Jesus himself. So that brings us to the third point. So we have the grandfather's vision, the grandfather's instruction, and now the grandfather's promise. And if I could put the three points together, they go like this. The grandfather's vision is for future generations to purchase and love and embrace wisdom because if they get her, she will reward them in ways that they couldn't even imagine. Consider some of these rewards. Verse 6, do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. We've talked about this word guard before. It's the same word found in Genesis 3:24. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. And cherubim are placed at the east of the garden, guarding the way back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they have in their hands a flaming sword. If you love wisdom and embrace wisdom, she will keep you. She will guard you. And, and, and what a great picture of cherubim with sword standing around you, guarding you and protecting you. She will also exalt you. Verse 8, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. The New King James Version translates it this way. Exalt her and she will promote you. Think of a, a job promotion that takes you to the next level. That, that's what wisdom does. She will exalt you. She will promote you. She will bring you to the next level. Walkie says this. It connotes to come to a high position in society, to elevate a person in his status and authority with all of his benefits. That's what wisdom will do for us. And then how about the climax of the grandfather's teaching in verse 9? She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Isn't that a great picture? You think of the coronation of a king and placed upon his head is the crown that shows that he is the ruler. That's probably the first image that comes to mind when we think of crown, but we're not, we're not told specifically what kind of crown this is. We're told that's a beautiful crown, uh, but there are many different kinds of crowns in the Bible. Wilkie, again, speaking of the crown, says, it can designate the crown of a queen, of a noble, or of a bridegroom. It could be made of gold and silver or of flowers. It enhances the beauty of its wearer and is associated with the honor, dignity, authority, and dominion of a ruler. When a king loses his crown, he loses his glory. It is used metaphorically of gray hair, grandchildren, 
a good wife, wealth. It is even used of the Lord who will be the crown of the remnant. And maybe we're not told specifically what kind of beautiful crown this is because it can have lots of different meanings for us. But here's what I know. Whatever you want out of life, guess who's going to give it to you? Wisdom is going to give it to you. No wonder David said to Solomon, and Solomon is now passing it on to his children, whatever you get, make sure you get wisdom. Make sure you get insight. And is that not what we want for our children? I want my granddaughter to be wise. I want my great, 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 I don't know how many generations that is, to be wise. So what do we do? Well, we, we start with where we are. Now, here's something I know. When I give a message like this, uh, some of you parents are feeling like you failed. Um, I know we have, we have some parents uh, in here who came to Christ later in life. Um, I know we have other parents who just uh, have regrets uh, for how they raise their children. Um, if you're a parent who is the least, lit, least bit critical, we all have regrets. But we can begin where we are. It is never too late to pray. Never too late to pray. Maybe you didn't pray for your children growing up because you weren't a Christian. You can pray for your grandchildren. You can pray. I, I love the image of Job offering sacrifices for his adult children just in case they sinned against God in their hearts. If nothing else, you know what you can do every single day and you should do every single day? Pray for your children by name. You can do that. You can, you can bring them before the Lord and you can, you can pray for them. Whether they're walking closely with the Lord, whether they're a prodigal son or daughter, you can pray, Lord, bring them back to you. We, we can all do that. We can pray. Of course, we can read the scriptures. It's never too late to do that and just continue on from, from where we are, regardless of when we, we got started. I always think it's kind of interesting because in my family, my mother became a Christian roughly when she was 40. And then I became a Christian right after her. So I, I was 20. And then I think of my kids being raised in the faith. And they better be more faithful because they had a head start. So, uh, you just start where you are. Just start where you are reading the scriptures. You can grow. And, of course, if you have made mistakes, you can ask your children for Forgiveness. Pastor, have you ever had to do that? I have. Yeah, ask, ask for forgiveness and go back if, if necessary. Children, you're not going to be left out. Are you attentive to your parents? When they instruct you, do you listen? I hope you don't roll your eyes. Ugh. There's another proverb. I forget what the reference is. The eye that mocks a mother would be plucked out by the ravens. That's, 
That's a graphic picture. You want to be attentive. And if I could go back, I, I tell you, kids, if I, if I could go back in time when my parents spoke, I'd be, I would be all ears. Because what I didn't see at the time was when they were instructing me, it was like they had in their hands $100 bills. But I, I didn't see it at the time. But they were trying to help me to, to grow and learn so that I could be successful and prosperous in life. There's a reason why one of the Ten Commandments, <laughs> honor your father and mother. And of course, that's for all children at any age, but it's so important. It's one of the ten biggies, if you, if you will. Some of you are here this morning and you're saying, I'm single. I never got married. I never, I never had children. How am I going to have an impact on future generations? Well, maybe I'll begin by reminding you that Jesus never had any biological children. Does he have any impact? 2,000 years later? And then I just thought, and this is just for me personally, the men who have impacted me, John R.W. Stott, never got married, never had children, had spiritual children, impacted other generations through his teaching. The same is true for Charles Simeon, never got married, never had children. To this, to this day, even right now, there's a society named after him because of the impact that he's had. He's personally encouraged me with the hardships that he's, that he's gone through. So if you're single, there, there is a way to have an impact, even just encouraging other parents in here and, and other, other children. So I, I think the call is to just be faithful wherever God has, has put us, whatever God has put in, in front of us. Often I, I think of you know, conferences you go to and you're bombarded with all this information and you wonder, oh, where do, where do I start with all this information? And I always think, start with where you are. Start with what God has put right in front of you. Every once in a while, I will, I will say to Michelle, we just need to be faithful in what God has called us to do. God has placed me here at this church at this time. Let's be faithful. God has placed her alongside me and we have children and, and other things going on. Whatever you have going on, just be faithful in what God has put in front of you and, and pray that he will bless that. And, and I promise you, when you get to heaven, you are going to be amazed at how God used your faithfulness. So as we, as we heard earlier during our time of confession, he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. So let's just start with the little that God has placed before us and entrusted to us and know that he will, that he will bless that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for the good works that you have for us. Father, I pray that by your spirit we will be faithful to what you have put in front of us. Uh, Father, I pray for the parents, the grandparents, 
Father, help us to pass along the faith to the next generation. And we do pray that 500 years from now, we would see the fruit of our faithfulness, even until the return of Christ, whenever that might be. Father, strengthen the work of our hands. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.